From the Jeff Nyquist Studios on California's North Coast and our flagship broadcast facilities at WIBG 1020, Atlantic City Suburban Philadelphia's number one news talk station, you're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. A full hour of stimulating, thought-provoking information you need to know, plus a whole lot more. Now with today's program, here's Jeff. Welcome to the show. I'm Jeff Nyquist, and I'm a columnist for Financial Sense Online. And I have letters from readers all the time, and letters from readers from other countries, from France, Australia, even Russia. And many times they express the view that America is the threat to world peace. America's the country that dropped two atomic bombs on Japan. America's the country that's invaded Afghanistan and Iraq that's uh, supposedly threatening uh, to invade Iran. And it's very easy to get confused in the world about what's going on, about who are the good guys and the bad guys. And I like to straighten people out real fast. In the United States, we have elections. We have presidents. It's all imperfect. Our presidents are imperfect. Our elections are imperfect. We're people. We're imperfect. There's a difference between an imperfect free society and the perfectly evil totalitarian dictatorships under communism, under Nazism, under Islamism, that we see out there in the world. A country like China that arrests and persecutes and tortures Christians and other uh, minority groups that are opposed to the Communist Party or aren't even opposed to it, just seen as a threat. You've got that crazy regime in North Korea. You've got that KGB regime in Russia in which they have been assassinating journalists. There's a list of, of, of around 15 journalists that have been killed, including the American journalist Paul Klebnikov, and the assassination by Polonium-210 of Alexander Litvinenko, a KGB defector. Now, if, if you can find anything in the history of a free government that's like what you find in China with the arrests and the tortures, or in Russia with the assassinations of journalists, if you can find anything like this, then you can tell me that the United States is morally comparable to these countries. That when the United States puts a base up on the Russian border or anywhere else in the world, that it is some kind of act of aggression. It is an act of defense. The United States invaded Iraq, invaded Afghanistan in reaction to 9-11 as an act of defense because we were afraid of weapons of mass destruction. And that any mistake over whether there were weapons of mass destruction was an honest mistake, not on purpose. We did not invade the country for oil. We are America. We're not about that. We're not like Nazi Germany. President of Russia on May 9th compared the United States to Nazi Germany. He didn't name the U.S., but everyone knows that's what he was talking about. But the real enemies of freedom and peace in the world are found in China and in Russia, Today, we're going to talk about China, and I have a guest, DJ McGuire, a very interesting man. Stay with us. We'll be back after this. You're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. Thanks for making WIBG 1020 a part of your life. We are Live Radio 1020, WIBG. Where more people every day hear the truth. From Hurley in the Morning to The Wondrous Story with Dave Bailey, Jay Sekulow live in the American Center for Law and Justice, and Josh Henning Afternoons. South Jersey's cutting edge Christian news talk and your station for women's oldies every weekend. WIBG 1020 and WIBG.com, plugging you into life. Now, once again, here's your host of the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show, 
With me on the line is DJ McGuire, president and co-founder of the China eLobby, author of Dragon in the Dark, How and Why Communist China Helps Our Enemies in the War on Terror. Welcome to the show, Mr. McGuire. Thank you for having me on. You know, that's a provocative title. Uh, how does China help our enemies in the war on terror? Uh, the first way is through military aid. Uh, it has helped Iran's nuclear weapons program. It's helped Iran's conventional military in many ways. Uh, it has a military alliance with North Korea. It provided munitions and other arms to Saddam Hussein. And, of course, there's military agreements with the Ba'athist regime in Syria, just to give you some examples. Hmm. Also, uh, diplomatically, communist China basically provides diplomatic cover for a lot of these regimes, particularly in the United Nations, where communist China uses its, its veto authority or even its threat of veto authority to ensure that either Security Council resolutions don't pass, such as when uh, President Bush was looking to pass the March 2003 resolution against Saddam Hussein, authorizing the use of force. Communist China was one of the leading opponents of that. Or they use it to water down anything that comes out of the UN so that it becomes, in effect, useless. That's what they've been doing uh, in regards to Iran's nuclear weapons program for many years. And the final way is through economic aid. Um, Communist China signed an economic agreement with the Taliban the day the World Trade Center fell. They have been uh, using their financial fronts and stock markets around the world to help Osama bin Laden launder drug money. Uh, they have had numerous financial agreements with North Korea, with Iran, with Saddam Hussein. And, of course, they are, uh, both financially and militarily, they are the leading backer of the, uh, the regime in Sudan, which is now best known or most infamous for the slow-motion genocide in Darfur, but it has also had a very long history of ties to terrorism in both, with both Iran and al-Qaeda. And in fact, some of the leading Sudanese officials were the original bridge builders, if you were, between al-Qaeda and Iran, even to the point of trying to find a, um, a terrorist ecumenicalism, if you will, between Osama bin Laden's Qutbis Sunniism and the Iranians' Khomeinist Shiism. So uh, communist China basically has its fingerprints on nearly every terrorist regime that we face or should face in, uh, in the war on terror. That's very interesting. Here, an atheist communist government like China is in league with Muslim uh, Islamic uh, terrorists, or it's helping them in the case of Iran, in the case of what's happening in Sudan. Uh, how, how is this possible? How are they able to get along with, uh, with people who think so differently? Well, it's, it's actually quite simple when you think about it from the perspective of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, starting on really on June 4th, 1989 with the Tiananmen Square Massacre, the communist Chinese realized that the economic reforms of the 1980s were not going to ensure the party would remain in power. So those were basically, they put the brakes on those. But they also realized that uh, the, the old Marxist Maoist uh, vision of things pretty much hadn't been working for many, many years. So they relied on radical nationalism, basically the bread and circuses of the modern age, in order to distract the Chinese people from what the party was doing to them and to make it look like the party was preserving the Chinese culture, protecting China abroad, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
The problem is, in order for this to work, communist China has to continue to expand its power base abroad. It needs to swallow up Taiwan very quickly. It needs to knock Japan out of the box as the lead power in Asia. And it has to eventually knock the United States out of the box as the lead power worldwide. We are Taiwan's strongest ally. We are Japan's strongest ally. So in each of these three objectives that communist China has, we are the obstacle. So for that reason, the Chinese Communist Party considers the United States a threat. Do the Chinese leaders want to facilitate the destruction of the United States? Eventually, that's what they feel they have to do. It's not a question of whether they want to do it or not. I don't know、mm -hmm. what they think of us personally. They probably don't like us very much. I did see a speech allegedly given by the Defense Minister of China, Chi Hao Chen, in which he said it was a tragedy that the United States and China would eventually have to fight each other. But yet he said it, like you just said, he said it has to happen. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's really the mindset of the party. They genuinely believe that we are a threat to their existence. Because remember, they're long term enough to think about.、It. They want they want to see a situation where the party will survive forever, and we are the lead external obstacle to that. So what they have done is they have ever ever since that point. They have basically their foreign policy has been make the world safe for dictators, and of course find any anti-American you can find and build ties with them. And and actually that their alliance with the Islamic terrorists of the various stripes is most helpful for them for two reasons. One, you have a group of people who are more than willing to hit America for you. Two, for their own reasons, whether it be the Wahhabists, the Baathists, or the Khomeinists, they all. They want the credit. They want the credit, and communist China doesn't want the blame. So it's a perfect arrangement for them, not so well for us. For them, yes.、Uh, with me is、uh, DJ McGuire, president and co-founder of the China E Lobby, and author of Dragon in the Dark: How and Why Communist China Helps Our Enemies in the War on Terror. Now you've gone into the how, and you've started to talk about the why that、uh, they feel that、uh, Western democracy, particularly America. Is a threat to the primacy of the Communist Party in China, and they believe that this primacy must be maintained at all costs. Isn't that it? That's exactly right. It's the it's the basic Leninist、uh, trait that all communist systems have: get power at all costs, keep power at all costs, and kill as many people as you have to.、Uh, if China is attempting to make alliance, an alliance, a super alliance, agreements and understandings with every anti-American power. That it can possibly find, so that would include the Western Hemisphere too, wouldn't it? Yes, it would, and in fact, they already have. They've been reaching out to Fidel Castro for many, many years, and they have recently been signing、um, resource agreements with Hugo Chavez, Evo Morales in Bolivia. In Bolivia, yes.、Uh, Yeah, those 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 are the two biggest ones that are, that are leaning heaviest to communist China.、Yeah. Brazil started to, but then some of their industries noticed that communist Chinese imports kept undercutting them, and so there was more political pressure on the Brazilian leadership not to get so cozy with communist China.、Huh. Although Lula da Silva is really quite、uh, left in his views and favorable to China and Russia, isn't he? He certainly is, but the nature of, of politics and the nature of economics in, in Brazil makes it a little harder for、right. him to move on that. Much harder than it does Chavez and Morales, who don't have to worry about the people; they can just shoot them if they want to. And of course, there's some Chinese、uh, involvement in, in some of the revolutionary movements. We had the Shining Path in Peru, and I don't know what the involvement would be with the Colombian Civil War. Is there any、uh, Chinese fingerprints on that? 
Nothing directly. However, if memory serves, Hugo Chavez has been trying to get some sort of rapprochement with FARC for quite some time. Mm -hmm. So the fact of the matter, from my perspective, if Hugo Chavez is involved in it, communist China is involved in it by proxy. I'm very interested to ask you about this because a year ago, uh, December, the Chinese premier went to Mexico and declared that Mexico was a strategic partner of China. What's going on with that? Well, Mexico's economy is hemorrhaging about 100,000 jobs a year to communist China, and Hmm. it's getting a lot of Mexicans very, very upset. However, in this respect, Mexico's political situation is unfortunately a bit like our political situation here, in that the political right in Mexico, the PAN, is very much spouting the engagement line, the economic benefits of working with China, all the stuff you hear out of the Bush administration. Now, for our uh, listeners who don't know, uh, what is this engagement about? Explain that. Sure. Uh, Starting in uh, 1972, when Mao Zedong decided the United States was slightly less dangerous to him than the Soviet Union, Mao decided to lean slightly towards the United States way. And for the first Cold War, as I call it, between the United States and the Soviet Union, this was somewhat helpful. When the Soviet Union fell to pieces in 1991, the rationale for that faded. And in fact, communist China has been um, trying to work to rebuilding the old alliance with Moscow that they had in the 1950s and 1960s. Mm-hmm. And in fact, from the military perspective, it's worked pretty well. Russia right now is communist China's largest military arms supplier. But there's still, unfortunately, some people in Washington who are stuck in the 1980s mindset and the mindset that, well, if we continue engaging diplomatically and economically with communist China, that all will be well. And they call their policy engagement because the rest of us call it appeasement. And they don't like that word, obviously. Mm-hmm. So they've been, they've been using engagement to describe their appeasing policies really ever since uh, the early 1990s. So um, in Mexico, as the United States, they believe in, in engaging China, which means trading with China, which means sharing technology with China, which means making nice with China and giving China what it wants. Pretty much. That, that's what it boils down to. They don't like to tell you it's the last part, but just giving the communists whatever they want because they know that's not popular. So they, they code it in various other phrases. But in the end, that's really what it boils down to. It's giving the communists what they want. You know, what I read about the Chinese premier going to Mexico, I thought about something, and maybe you've heard of this. It's the Sidewinder Report in, in, in Canada. It was a joint study between the Canadian Intelligence Service and the Royal Mounted, uh, Canadian Royal Mounted Police about Chinese penetration and infiltration of the Canadian political system and the Canadian business sector uh, sort of using Canada as a uh, path for flanking the United States. And this report was suppressed in Canada, and uh, really nothing was done. The recommendations of the report weren't followed through. Is China using, like it's using Canada, is it using Mexico as a way to get at the United States? I think it's certainly trying to. I don't know how deep they have gotten into Mexico because, unfortunately, no one has really examined it uh, as much as they have in Canada. And, by the way, I've... I um I I know the author of the Sidewinder report personally. He's mm. a, he's a friend of mine, um, and they did more than just bury it. They completely demolished his career. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, that's interesting to me. Unfortunately, there hasn't been any any real report or any dealings on what's been going on in Mexico. You know, and somewhat dangerously, we don't really know how deep that penetration is right now. I I do remember way back in World War One something called the Zimmerman Telegraph. And uh, there is this old uh, 
uh, question about the Southwest and the Mexican-American War and about uh, uh, using Mexico against the United States in a future conflict. I, I did an interview with uh, Hugo Chavez's pilot and chief of air staff a few years back and was shocked to, to learn that Hugo Chavez is a, is a complete communist and that uh, he his goal, according to this man, was to create a communist bloc in Latin America to attack the United States. And, of course, if this is true, then it explains why when Hugo Chavez went to China and visited there, he said, I am a Maoist. No, that, that doesn't surprise me at all anymore, particularly as to what has happened uh, since that fellow defected, which, memory serves, he defected about three years ago or four years ago? Uh, it was the end of 2002, beginning of 2003, I think. Okay. Yeah, that, yeah that's about right. Um, but this is part and parcel of what the Chinese Communist Party is doing. It reaches for any anti-American it can find, and it, it helps them, it builds them up, it establishes economic and political and diplomatic ties with them. And then if they want to go out and haul off after the United States, well... That's fine by the Chinese Communist Party, so long as you don't credit the Chinese Communist Party with what you're doing. Yeah. And Chavez is, has a big enough ego that he's willing yeah. to stick his neck out like that. And again, that's per- that that is perfect for them. I mean, would the Chinese actually put missiles in uh, in Venezuela? It wouldn't surprise me at some point. It would surprise me if they did it tomorrow, because mm-hmm. one of the things that that one of the reasons communist China has been so successful at this is that they've been hiding their motives for so long um, and making sure that most people are bedazzled into, you know, the Potemkin cities of Shanghai, Shenzhen, Hong Kong, and Beijing, mm-hmm. and the notion that, oh, we're just looking to export to the world, we're not looking to do anything nasty, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I doubt they would actually place their own missiles there. I would not be surprised, however, if Hugo Chavez suddenly hosts a bunch of North Korean engineers to teach his people how to build missiles on their own, that very much is up communist China's ally, sending one of their surrogates or sending one of their satellites out to another satellite to help them so that the two satellites can help each other build their militaries. Now, the, the Chinese have been responsible for building up uh, Pakistan's uh, nuclear arsenal. Uh, oh, yes. And that is yes, the, the one truly Islamic nuclear arsenal we have on the planet. Why did the Chinese do this? Now, we know about India developing its nuclear weapons, and there has been a military rivalry between India and China. Uh, perhaps you could comment on this. Well, the fact of the matter is communist China has been using Pakistan as a foil against India for many years. And, in fact, right after India went nuclear, uh, its defense minister publicly stated that, as far as he was concerned, Pakistan was no longer India's number one threat. Communist China was. That got people's attention in Beijing. And we have to remember, communist China and India fought a nasty border war in 1962. Yeah. And to this day, communist China still claims an entire Indian province. So the fact of the matter is... um, it doesn't surprise me that communist China is willing to build up Pakistan as a foil against India, because I believe communist China is genuinely afraid of India. Here we have the only country in the world with a population even close to communist China's, yet it has a somewhat functioning democracy for over 60 years now. And for the last 15 years, they've been moving away from the sclerotic socialism that held them back for so long. India is a very serious uh, superpower contender uh, over the next 10 to 15 years, and communist China is very, very worried about what India could do to them. 
And so as far as Communist China is concerned, the more Pakistan is built up, the better it is for Beijing. And I noticed that China, and with the help of Russia, is trying to move closer to India. Is there an effort by Russia and China to keep India from, from growing closer to the United States? Oh, of course there is, particularly on Communist China's part. Uh, for Communist China, keeping India and the United States separated, if you will, is of vital importance to them. If there is a strong Indo-American alliance within the next generation or two, then the forces of the free world will have a much easier time geopolitically containing and economically isolating communist China than if India remains in its current position of, you know, not quite sure where to turn. Do you think that the Bush administration has a strong policy for drawing India into an alliance with the U.S.? As a matter of fact, I do. This is probably the most unheralded geopolitical and diplomatic success that I've seen in at least 15 to 20 years is the determination of the Bush administration to build a strong relationship with India. For all the other problems the Bush administration has, and in East Asia, the administration really has dropped the ball. When it comes to the U.S.-India relationship, this administration has been the friendliest to India in a very long time and has been determined to make sure as India comes into its own as one of the leading powers in the world that they are very, very close to the United States. So the Bush administration does have a very strong policy on that. Is is India responding favorably? So far they have been. Um, the the fate of it could it could hinge on the, the uh, civilian nuclear accord that was signed early last year. Um, and was uh, approved. Its first phase was approved by the con by the by the lame duck Congress in late 2006. I would say that agreement is pretty well vital to determine Indo-American relations. If that agreement goes through, then India and the United States will be very very close. If for any reason that agreement goes down, it'll be a lot harder to build a strong India-U.S. friendship. And that friendship, frankly, is, I believe, vital if we win what I call the second Cold War, which mm -hmm. is a Cold War between the United States and Communist China. So uh, we need to watch this very closely to see what happens with India. The former uh, Russian Prime Minister, Primakov, he came up with this idea years ago about a uh, BRIC alliance, Brazil, Russia, India, China. He wanted to bring India together with China and Russia in an alliance. And the, the Vladimir Putin made a speech in February claiming that this alliance was, was effective now. He's really saying that India is with them. What do you think of this? Is, it, is India won over by them already? or? No, I, I, think that's, I think that Vladimir Putin's speech came as quite a surprise to India, <laughs> to be perfectly honest ah, with you. Okay. Um, so he's counting his chickens. Before yeah, they've I hatched, think he's yeah. counting chickens before they hatched. I think, I really think actually that Russia is alienating India by continuing to try to bring communist China into the mix here. If Russia was just talking about building ties with India and Brazil or whoever else it was and keeping communist China on the sidelines, I don't think India would have much complaint. But India is very, very worried about communist China. Mm -hmm. They're very, very concerned about it. They don't have the sort of, um, naivete, frankly, about Beijing that Vladimir Putin does. And, you know, whenever Russia tries to talk about how, you know, how India and Communist China are together with them, the Russians, um, you normally get things out of instance, well, well, actually, if the Communist Chinese are involved, not quite. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say, you know, I, I think Putin was counting his chickens before, before they hatched. That's very true. Uh, uh, because in, India does have 
good relations with Moscow, but that doesn't translate to India having good relations with Beijing. Right, and of course, what's interesting is that uh, Russia, of course, has been a traditional ally of India's. Uh, during much of the Cold War, India got its weapons and still gets most of its weapons from Russia. And, of course, it has to do with the colonial history of India and the way that Russia moved in to support India when it needed support. Right. Uh, what's interesting to me is why the Russians are eager to uh, push China and India together at the risk of their relationship with India. I think what is happening is Russia's military-industrial complex is basically, at this point, so dependent on communist China. Because not only is Russia communist China's biggest arms supplier, but communist China is Russia's biggest arms customer, even more than India these days. Mm -hmm. So what is happening is you have forces within the Russian government, particularly the military, that just basically believe the relationship with communist China is more important than anything else because basically communist China signs their checks. So there's no grand strategy or ideology involved in your opinion? No, I don't think, I don't, I don't think so at this point. Huh. And the other thing is we have to remember is as far as Beijing is concerned, Russia is a junior partner. And Russia won't be anything but a junior partner. So to some extent, even if Russia were to try to move this into a grand strategy type situation, they might run into more friction with communist China because communist China doesn't want Russia to have any grand strategies. They would just rather Russia continue arming them <laughs> and, and just sit over in the corner somewhere. Well, let's uh, characterize the Chinese regime. I, I interviewed uh, Harry Wu uh, some years ago, and I asked him what the people who were running China were like, and he, he used the word killers. He said they were killers. Uh, is that an apt description of the leadership in Beijing? Oh, absolutely. These are people who have no concern for human life whatsoever. This is a regime that is willing to kill in more ways than just one. I mean, when when we think of killers, we think put up the gun and shoot the person in the head. Communist, the Chinese Communist Party has found much more interesting, for lack of a better term, ways to kill people. They can put their dissidents in labor camps and leave them to wither and die. They can put them in psychological institutions and pump them full of pharmaceuticals until they're completely you know, mentally useless to anyone else around them. They have heavily polluted so many areas that as of right now, Hmm. the organs to foreigners. This is something that was discovered by the Epoch Times last March, and Communist China didn't quite admit they were doing it to Falun Gong practitioners, mm -hmm. but they did admit that they were doing it to prisoners all throughout their system. Now, do, are they arresting people from other religious groups as well and doing this to them? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. They're arresting Catholics. They're arresting any Protestant faith that doesn't appeal to the party line. Um, and this shows us how deceptive Communist China is, because they have allowed four or five state religions to exist a state-run Catholicism, a state-run Protestantism, a state-run Islam, a state-run Buddhism, and a state-run Taoism. Hmm. The problem is, if you, as, as any one of those faiths, don't believe you should praise the Chinese Communist Party in your religious service, they throw you in jail. It's basically anybody who refuses to put the Chinese Communist Party between themselves and their god 
is headed for a prison cell. So they've sort of co-opted uh, certain Christian groups or religious groups in order to force them to toe the party line? Yes, that, that's basically the idea. The idea is to force churchgoers to toe the party line and also to convince outsiders that they have some semblance of religious freedom. Mm-hmm. For example, their, their version of Christianity, for lack of a better term, has tricked the World Council of Churches Really? Yeah. When you say their version of Christianity, if I go into a Protestant church in in China, I'm going to see what looks like a normal church. But what do you understand from your connections with China? What is really going on in that official Protestant church? What's going on is every single minister in that church and every minister in every other church like that has been appointed by the Chinese Communist Party. The Chinese Communist Party has a religion bureau. They have five people, and those people are each the head of their various religions. I, as someone who is raised Catholic, the one I, I examine the most, is Bishop Fu, the bishop, and I put that in quotes, who is basically in charge of the Chinese Patriotic Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. He is a party member. He answers to the party, to the Politburo Standing Committee and the Central Military Commission, the whole nine yards. And he directs every single event in the patriotic Catholic religion. He decides who the priests are, he decides what what gospels are taught, etc., etc., etc. It's the same way for all of the other various faiths. You do not get to choose who your minister is. You don't get to say, hmm, maybe I'd like that minister. You get the minister the party tells you you have. And that minister preaches what the party tells him to preach, not what the Lord tells him to preach. I see. So uh, this is very interesting. With me is uh, DJ McGuire, president and co-founder of the China E-Lobby and author of Dragon in the Dark. We'll be back with our guest after this. You're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. Thanks for making WIBG 1020 your first choice for the good news and the local news. The overwhelming response from throughout all of Atlantic City, Cape May, and suburban Philadelphia to our exciting lineup of programs begins with Harry Hurley and Hurley in the Mornings from 7 to 11. Then at 12 noon, it's your chance to call in and talk with Jay Seculo live. That's right. Jay moves to his new time at 12 noon. It's your chance to talk live with Jay. Then at 1 p.m., it's New Life Live with Steve Arterburn and the gang. As always, your questions are answered live right here on WIBG 1020. And at 2 p.m., join Dr. Charles Stanley for his new time slot right here at WIBG for In Touch. We're so thankful for the overwhelming response to WIBG 1020, and we thank you. And we encourage you to please sponsor and support the advertisers and programs you hear on Atlantic City, Cape May's number one home for Christian news talk and local two-way talk. WIBG 1020 AM. Now, once again, here's your host of the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. With me is DJ McGuire, president and co-founder of the China E-Lobby and author of Dragon in the Dark. This is very interesting. The Chinese Communist Party controls the appointment of the ministers, what is preached in the churches and how it's preached. And I would assume then that just like in the Russian Orthodox Church uh, under communism, all of the leaders were KGB agents, the top leaders, that the Public Security Bureau, you know, Chinese KGB are the ones that are, are basically in charge of watching these people and making sure they don't step out of line. Oh, yes. 
certainly the, the Chinese version. Um, they're watching everything you do. Either it's the CSIS or it's the, um, the disciplinary committee because, of course, the, the, the CCP has its own internal discipline bureau. Mm-hmm. And um, they really function more like the, the internal KGB did for the Russians. They're the ones who make sure nobody steps out, steps out of line. And they are definitely watching you at every single turn. Uh, now, I remember Billy Graham went to China some years ago, and it, it seemed that there was a flourishing Protestantism there. Was there a kind of Potemkin village put on show uh, to show a, a kind of fake face of a fake Chinese Protestantism? Oh, yes, absolutely. They do that for Americans who come in all the time. Uh, they did it for Reverend Pat Robertson, and sadly it fooled him. Wow. Uh, they, oh, oh, yes. Um, they do it for anybody who comes over. It's to promote the illusion that communist China has religious freedom, when in fact it doesn't. They will even put Bibles that look like Mao Red Books, and they'll say, look, see, we have Red Bibles, and this shows how, you know, how open we are of Christianity. And again, what they don't tell you is they appoint the preachers, they tell the preachers what to say, and they have minders on the preachers in case the preacher says the wrong thing. And if he says the wrong thing, he disappears. Wow. And so uh, uh, the underground church, if people are genuine Christians and they know that communism being atheism is is of course opposed to Christianity and Christianity cannot compromise with communism on uh, fundamental issues then they must leave the church they must leave this official uh, sort of uh, communist party church and go underground so what happens to them then what what does the regime do to these people well if the regime finds these people they will throw them in jail Usually the, the folks in the congregation will be held for maybe a day or two, and then they'll be released and given a stern warning not to do this again. Mm-hmm. The ministers, however, are kept for months, if not years. They are tortured brutally in prison, because as far as the, as far as the CCP is concerned, the preachers are the real problem, whether it's uh, Catholic priests and bishops who are loyal to the Vatican, or whether it's you know ordinary, for lack of a better term, ordinary Protestants who are loyal to God, and it's estimated that there are anywhere from 40 to 70 million Protestants who basically you know worship in underground churches and refuse to put the party between themselves and the Lord, and they don't answer to anybody except the Lord, mm-hmm. and it's a lot harder for communist China to crack down on them than it is for them to be, you know, to, to keep an eye on Catholics. So they're more of a threat. I would say so. I think they consider the Protestants much more of a threat than the Catholics because they're much harder to control. In fact, to some extent, they're impossible to control. You can you can only arrest as many as you can see. So that's uh, that figure again was, what did you say, 30 to 70 million Protestants in China? It's, the last estimate I saw was between, and this is about five years ago, so it's probably increased since then. Mm-hmm. It's, betwe- it's between 40 to 70 million Protestants who refuse to follow the co- the communist quote faith unquote and stay with our underground churches. And and how big are the official Christian churches in China? The Catholic Church, I believe, is about five to six million, uh-huh. and I think the official, if memory serves, the official Protestant church is about that much as well. They're both dwarfed by the by the underground church. Wow, that is amazing. They're just tiny. Can be, they're like a tiny front saying we're the real thing. And the real thing's really hidden and persecuted underneath the... So it's a tremendous shame that someone like Pat Robertson or Billy Graham would go over there and be fooled into thinking that something uh, genuine was going on there on the surface that was tolerated by the by the Chinese state. As, as someone who is a Catholic and, and not one of the Protestant faiths, I don't, you know, I don't want to cast too many aspersions. 
However, the behavior of Reverend Robertson, who actually stood out as an apologist for the one-child policy six years ago. Yeah, I um, remember that. There's just a complete lack of understanding as to what's really going on. And I just don't understand it. And the more I think about it, the more upset I get. You know, as huh. your memory serves, Billy Gray made a trip over there and he may have been fooled once. But, I mean, Robertson is an investor within uh -huh. an Internet portal with a red Chinese firm. Well... I want yeah. to be careful because I don't want to throw the guy into the bus, but <laughs> yes. I see a very different side to Pat Robertson than most Americans see. You know, we're all really subject to being fooled because, after all, this is a very deceptive regime. You, you know, we it use is. the uh, the term killers that we got from Harry Wu, uh, but really, they're also liars. Yes, they are. And I remember that uh, it was Alexander Solzhenitsyn that, that said that if if the lie is what you're about, then killing must be your method in the end. Yes. That's exactly true, because the only way a lie can survive the truth is if it kills everyone who speaks the truth. That's the only way a lie can survive. Yeah, you have to end up using murder. Yeah. Now, you've described a kind of larger dynamic, how this regime of killers, liars, and, and basically thieves have organized to believe that they have to destroy U.S. power, they have to build their own alliance, they have to break out. How how much progress have they made in strengthening themselves into a position and gathering allies that they could actually challenge the U.S.? I mean, when when can we look for the really dangerous time to come? Well, unfortunately, they've been very good at it, and the dangerous time will be, as their favorite president used to say, it will be sooner rather than later. The fact of the matter is, not only has communist China built strong alliances with Iran, with North Korea, with Sudan, well, with Saddam Hussein, although he's not out of the box, with the Assad dictatorship in Syria, with Hugo Chavez, with Evo Morales, etc. But what they've also been able to do is build up their military as all this has been going on. In fact, communist China now has over a thousand missiles pointed at the island democracy of Taiwan. Their military expenditures are the second largest on earth, right behind the United States. And if you take in mind purchasing power parity, you know, the question of how far a dollar goes. Mm -hmm. In communist China, a dollar goes about six times as far as it does here. So their military spending is probably mm -hmm. roughly the equivalent to two-thirds or three-quarters of what we spend on our military. And that's more than anybody else on earth. I've heard the figure of over $100 billion is what they really spend. And, of course, if their purchasing power is six times ours, that means that they could be spending the equivalent of a half a trillion. Yeah, a half a trillion. And, in, yeah, in fact, yeah, and that would actually put them at over what we spend. Yeah, that's right. And that's basically what we're talking about here. And they hide about anywhere from half to two-thirds of their spending, you know, quote, off-budget, unquote, mm -hmm. so that nobody knows where the money's going or to what yeah. it's for. But we know what it's for when they release you know, the most advanced submarine-launched supersonic missile, the uh, the uh, Sunburn missile, um, sort of a takeoff of the Russian SSN-22, mm -hmm. when they begin uh, building and, pr you know, producing advanced submarine classes, when they have the J-10 fighter plane, which is, I mean, it's still about a generation behind what we have, but it's the most advanced thing that anyone else has produced in the world. Mm -hmm. the, the thing we have to watch for now it could be, and it could be a danger and an opportunity, oddly enough, is that communist China is now at the point where they've reverse engineered so much Russian military technology that they're being able to produce all this stuff on their own. They don't need Russian parts, Russian arms, or Russian help in order to do this. Now, this means two things. One, unfortunately, this means communist China now has its own military industrial complex that it can put up against ours. 
it'll be the only country in the world that is that is really able to do that. I mean, Russia has a military industrial complex, but they can't afford it. Basically, communist China has been keeping it afloat for a while. But this would mean communist China has the first military industrial complex since the Soviet Union that can be arrayed against us. On the flip side, however, it also means since they don't need Russians, Russia's arms anymore, then their biggest incentive for Moscow to maintain close ties to Beijing is presently fraying and may actually dissolve over the next decade to a decade and a half. So, you know, Russia may be very interesting to watch diplomatically over the next over the next 10 to 15 years. Um, as I tell people, I don't know how Cold War II is going to turn out, but I do know Russia will be with the winner. I just don't know which side that is yet, and neither does Russia. Do we have 10 to 15 years before the Chinese try to break out in some way? Um, I would say probably not. Um, in fact, the reports that I've seen say that there will probably be an invasion of Taiwan by at the latest 2012. Um, and this is not actually dependent upon anything we do or anything our allies do. It is dependent upon what they feel they need to do to whip their people up into a nationalistic patriotic frenzy and then use that to declare several emergency laws to reverse most of the false reforms of the last few decades to seize any property that has fallen into private hands, uh, including personal bank accounts, uh, and basically reassert party control over anything and everything from Harbin in the Northeast to Tibet in the Southwest, occupied, excuse me, in the Southwest. And the Taiwan invasion is a part of that, and that's planned for 2012. Now, at this point, the only way an invasion of Taiwan would succeed is if they can keep the United States out of the war. That is especially where, in the short term, their ties to our terrorist enemies come in. I would say we need to be very, very careful, basically, about a possible series of major terrorist attacks in 2011. Not because the terrorists wouldn't like to do it sooner. Of course they would. But I think Communist China will have a much stronger interest in having the terrorists succeed in 2011, early 2012, in order to distract us so much that they can go in after Taiwan without our interference. So I think it's very important to ensure that we have an anti-communist president in the White House. I know we haven't talked about the 2008 campaign, but I, I think that is one of the things that has to be an important issue in that campaign, because based on what I've seen, communist China will make a play for Taiwan in 2012, and that could very well include, and I believe it will include, uh, a at least an attempt at some serious major terrorist attack in the United States to keep us distracted from what's going on. That's an interesting theory. You know, you, you mentioned this about the next president. We, You know, I've been disappointed watching one administration after another, and I do not see where they speak the truth. I mean, George Bush has done the best of all so far, but to speak the truth about what China's really like and to say, mm -hmm. these are bad people. We shouldn't be helping them. We shouldn't be trading with them. American companies should be more restricted in what they can do. And And we've got this exchange rate. We have tied our economy to theirs in a way that they could pull the plug on us if they wanted to. Yes, that's true. And they're basically, um, at, at this point, they're basically waiting on their currency to to revalue it upward. They're waiting for the moment where they can do us the most damage. And in their minds, it hasn't happened yet. So they're just sitting tight. Now, that's fascinating. Now, And I'll explain that to our listeners. Now, we, we've had trouble with the dollar. We've seen the dollar going down. So so how does this work now? How does this work of, of their currency coming up well, at, at present, their, their currency is still attached to it. They've pegged it 
to a rate of I believe it's about twelve to thirteen cents. Their current their the, uh, one renminbi is twelve to thirteen of our cents. Mm-hmm. Most people assume that if they allowed it to fluctuate, you know, at market rates, it would rise up to about fifteen sixteen cents. That would be very helpful for our not only for our manufacturers, but also for our fellow allies who export to us: Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, Mexico, Canada. You know, everyone else. In fact, I would humbly submit that that what they did with the currency was due was aimed more at the, our allies and their export markets than at, than at anything we were doing internally. You were trying to take away their business, right? Exactly. Right. They they were they were trying to basically crowd them out of the American import market um, and make us more dependent upon Beijing and less you know and less you know, less diversified in our import portfolio. But what I think they're doing now is is they're starting to accumulate um, accumulate American bonds. T-bills and things of that nature. They're waiting until they accumulate enough of this that they're in a position to actually control the American interest rate. They're not quite there yet because Japan still uh, out-invests them here. Britain still out-invests them here. Um, I think even Germany still out-invests them here, though I may not be sure. They may have passed Germany. But Communist China is not in a position where they can hold a commanding position on our debt markets. They're simply not there yet. I think in time, though, if we're not careful, they could get there. And once they do get there, then they'll be in a position to move the currency in a way that that can really do a lot of damage to our debt markets, to the ability of us to raise money and for our interest rates. And the worst part of it is, if they do it at the right time, the folks in American manufacturers who, who are getting hit by their imports will thank them for it anyway, even as it crushes everyone else in the economy. Because it will impact, you know, it will obviously have a positive impact on our manufacturing. I don't think they're there yet, but they could get there soon. I would say possibly within the next five to ten years. When they are at a point where they finally pass Britain as the largest holder of American debt, because right now it's still Britain, if memory serves. Once they pass Britain, then they'll be in a position where they can see that day on the horizon, and frankly, the rest of us can see that day on the horizon. Um, so that's what I think they're looking at right now. As for the 2008 election, if you just let me divert a little, right now I'd say the only candidate who is actually focusing on this is a fellow from California named Duncan Hunter. I don't know if familiar is to you or to most of your listeners. Yeah, he's from me. He was from San Diego area, isn't he? Yes, he's from the San Diego area, chairman of the Armed Services Committee for about four years, one of the leading anti-communists in Congress. He has a ter- he has a terrific record of this. He was one of the leaders in, in stopping the Costco fiasco in Southern California in the mid-1990s. He is one of the leading folks ringing the alarm bell about the danger from communist China, and he is the only person who is bringing it to the campaign trail right now. Uh, some of your listeners are fans of Tom Tancredo for various reasons. Mm-hmm. And Tom Tancredo has a good anti-communist record, but I haven't heard him talk about it much in the campaign. He's focused on on immigration restriction above everything else. And I myself am a restrictionist too, but you can't ignore the other threats to the United States, such as communist China. Duncan Hunter understands those threats and he's talking about them. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think puts him head and shoulders about the rest of the field right now. Now, you deal in this, you've got the, tell us about the China e-lobby a little bit. What goes on there and and uh, what kind of uh, involvement have you got? Are, uh, is there a groundswell in this country of interest in the China threat? As a matter of fact, I believe there is. Um, there are several organizations that we work with, um, including 
folks like uh, folks like uh, the, the Epoch Times, who I mentioned earlier, um, uh, Wig and Shun of the uh, the Overseas China Democracy Coalition. Um, you mentioned uh, Harry Wu. We're trying to uh, to work with uh, work with Harry and some others to put together a conference this spring on com- on the communist China danger. I think what has happened what has been happening is that a lot of Americans understand the danger. But they don't have all the facts in front of them. And what mm-hmm. we try to do with the China e-lobby is to bring the facts to them, which is why we've been focused more on spreading the word, spreading the information. Um, we have uh, a blog set up, china-e-lobby.blogspot.com, uh, where we have a, a daily uh, daily news update. Um, that gives the latest information on what's going on in communist China, what the party does to its own people, what the what the regime does to its neighbors, and the various things that they do abroad. Um, we also have uh, have been involved in some grassroots lobbying efforts in terms of we were one of the folks who tried to stop PNTR in 2000. Unfortunately, it didn't work so well. We were one of the folks who did stop Li Keqing, the uh, the Hong Kong pro-communist tycoon, from getting a hold of the global crossing firm, telecommunications firm. Mm. Uh, we were more successful in stopping that one. Um, yes, there was, there was a, a, at the time, a very little known organization called a Treasury Department Auxiliary called the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, and it was their job to prove you know, all murders involving outsiders. And at the time, they were looking at the, the Hutchinson-Wampoa global crossing merger, and our membership you know, you know, peppered the executive director with emails asking, asking her not to approve this. And lo and behold, but about a week after we started this campaign, Hutchinson Wampoa announced they were pulling out of the deal. So um, I'm not sure how much we had to do with it, but we did take some credit. Well, that's, that's good. <laughs> I, I also have a, a presence on the Canadian blogosphere up at the Western Standard. Uh, we were one of the first organizations, because the, yeah, I know you mentioned Canada, we were one of the first organizations to endorse the uh, Canadian Conservative Party which was elected to government in uh, January 2006 and has, in fact, really been a sea change to uh, Canada's communist China policy. The head of the Canadian Intelligence Services actually talks about the, the China threat these days. The government there, uh, the Canadian government, refuses to drop uh, human rights cases, doesn't you know, sweep them under the rug like the old government did. Mm-hmm. My friend, the fellow who wrote the Sidewinder Report, who had his career ruined, um, is actually starting to rebuild it now and has numerous contacts within this government, in the Canadian government up there, contacts who actually want to, who want to hear what he has to say and, and want to act on what he knows. Um, it's just, it's a very different and very exciting time up there. Uh, I wish we had some of that down here, but, you know, you take what you can get. So we, we've been very involved now, you know, internationally, frankly, in building the anti-communist coalition of the free world and giving it a voice. Because once the anti-communist coalition in the free world has a voice, the political leaders won't be able to ignore it anymore. And I think that's what we, we saw in Canada, and I'm hoping we can see it in the United States uh, over the next year. Well, it sounds very encouraging, the news from Canada definitely sounds encouraging. Um, how can people get your book? They can call Author House, which is the publisher, one eight 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 two eight zero seven seven one five, and just ask for Dragon in the Dark by DJ McGuire, and it'll probably it'll come to them in about should be about one to two weeks time, uh, and then they can basically see in detail how communist China built these relationships with our enemies over the 1990s, and how it is basically using them uh, to keep America off guard and keep America distracted. 
Um, and just, you know, keep in mind, I'm not saying that these people are not bad guys. I'm not saying we don't have to fight them because we do. What I am saying is that if we really want to win the war on terror, or as I call it, the Wahhabist Ba'athist Khomeinist War, what we have to recognize is victory will not come in Baghdad or Anbar or Diyala or Tehran or Damascus or, you know, even Riyadh or Islamabad and certainly not in Kabul or Kandahar. Victory can only come in Beijing. We will never be secure until China is free, because only when China is free will the Chinese Communist Party be out of the picture. And only then will the Chinese government be more focused on helping its people and less focused on killing Americans. And they really are focused on doing us harm. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. I want to thank you for being on the show. This is uh, DJ McGuire, uh, again, author of Dragon in the Dark, and he is the president and co-founder of the China E-Lobby. Will you join us again in the future sometime? Thank you for having me on, and I would love to do it again. Well, thank you again, and uh, take care. Thank you. Have a good night. You're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show with your host, Jeff Nyquist. Plugging you into life. We are Live Radio 1020 WIBG. Whether it's Hurley in the morning, Henning in the afternoon, Dr. Jim Dobson in Focus on the Family. South Jersey's fastest growing Christian news talk. Now with more than a million listeners and hits at WIBG 1020. WIBG. 1020 WIBG. Or at WIBG.com. Plugging you into life. Now, once again, here's your host of the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. What Americans need to know is that the Chinese communists want to destroy America. It's not the average Chinese guy in the street that wants to destroy America. It's not the, the average man. It's their leaders. It's the communists, the guys in Beijing that run the show. America's in their way. American freedom and liberty is a threat to them. Christianity is a threat to them. So they want to persecute Christianity and they want to prevent freedom from breaking out in China. And so America's their main enemy. They have to destroy America because in the long run, it's either the United States or China, communist China, that survives at the end of the day. So the United States is China's target. And that is why... As DJ McGuire, our guest, has told us that China is helping terrorist countries and terrorist organizations. That is also why China is preparing its military for a future war with the United States. Why it is making alliances with Russia, Venezuela, Cuba, North Korea, Iran, and Syria, and other countries too. They're also involved in South Africa. I'd like to finish with a quote that appeared on the Epic Times website. It's attributed to the former Chinese defense minister, Qi Haoqian. And this is what he is reported to have said in a communist meeting. He said, It is indeed brutal to kill one or two hundred million Americans, that is in a future war, but that is the only path that will secure a Chinese century, a century in which the Chinese Communist Party leads the world. We, as revolutionary humanitarians, do not want deaths, but if history confronts us with a choice between the deaths of Chinese and those of Americans, we'd have to pick the latter. As for us, it is more important to safeguard the lives of the Chinese people and the life of our party. That is because, after all, we are Chinese and members of the Chinese Communist Party. 
Since the day we joined the Chinese Communist Party, the party's life has always been above all else. History will prove that we made the right choice. If that's what a Chinese defense minister has to say, imagine what their military plans and their diplomatic strategy must be. Next week on the Jeff Nyquist Show, I'm going to have Nevin Gusak on. He is a library and information scientist. He's done fascinating research into communist bloc deception. And we're going to talk about communist strategy and how it's still continuing today. I am Jeff Nyquist. I want to thank you for being with the program. And you can visit my website at jrnyquist.com. And we look forward to having you with us next week. These are people who have... No concern for human life whatsoever. What is really going on in that official Protestant church? What's going on is every single minister in that church has been appointed by the Chinese Communist Party. And that minister preaches what the party tells him to preach, not what the Lord tells him to preach. And if he says the wrong thing, he disappears. If you don't believe you should praise the Chinese Communist Party in your religious service, they throw you in jail. Anybody who refuses to put the Chinese Communist Party between themselves and their God is headed for a prison cell. If people are genuine Christians and they know that communism, being atheism, is of course opposed to Christianity and Christianity cannot compromise, then they must leave the church. They must leave this official uh, sort of uh, Communist Party church and go underground. So what happens to them then? If the regime finds these people, they will throw them in jail. Usually the, the folks in the congregation will be held for maybe a day or two, and then they'll be released and given a stern warning not to do this again. The ministers, however, are kept for months, if not years. They are tortured brutally in prison, because as far as the, as far as the CCP is concerned, the preachers are the real problem, whether it's uh, Catholic priests and bishops who are loyal to the Vatican, or whether it's you know ordinary, for lack of a better term, ordinary Protestants who are loyal to God. And... It's estimated that there are anywhere from 40 to 70 million Protestants who basically, you know, worship in underground churches and refuse to put the party between themselves and the Lord. And they don't answer to anybody except the Lord. That figure again was, what did you say, 30 to 70 million Protestants in China? It's, the last estimate I saw was between, and this is about five years ago, so it's probably increased since then. It's between, it's between 40 to 70 million Protestants who refuse to follow the communist, quote, faith, unquote, and stay with our underground churches. If we really want to win the war on terror, or as I call it, the Wahhabist, Baathist, Khomeinist war, victory will not come in Baghdad, or Anbar, or Diyala, or Tehran, or Damascus, or, you know, even Riyadh, or Islamabad, and certainly not in Kabul or Kandahar. Victory can only come in Beijing. We will never be secure until China is free, because only when China is free will the Chinese Communist Party be out of the picture. And only then will the Chinese government be more focused on helping its people and less focused on killing Americans. From the Jeff Nyquist Studios on California's North Coast and from our flagship broadcast facilities at WIBG 1020, Atlantic City Suburban Philadelphia's number one news talk station, you've been listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. We invite you to join us again next week at the same time. In the meantime, please visit Jeff's website at jrnyquist.com. Again, 
That's jrnyquist.com. Thank you for listening.